Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, I'm excited that Jared and Meredith were able to get away and, um, and in two part because they get to get away and enjoy being a wife and a husband and enjoy with other pastors. And I have the privilege of bringing forth the word this morning, which I'm very excited to do. So it is a privilege. I know I get 40 minutes, God willing, of your time uh, this morning. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your ears this morning. Before I even get in, um, I had, I have to give uh, credit to both Jared and Trevor as they helped, uh, really helped bring this out in me of having like a two hour long conversation of this passage. And so if any of this blesses you, also say thanks to Jared and Trevor. So my name is Jeremy Stevens. I currently work as a UPS driver. I drive around delivering pretty much Amazon boxes all day, sometimes Target, all that, you know. And so um, that is my uh, title by day. And then I'm a father of two with um, uh, two little boys at home. And so I have, I have a lot on my plate right now as a UPS driver and then as with a two-year-old and a four-month-old. And so um, I needed help with this. And that's why Jared and Trevor were such a blessing. So, all right, our roadmap this morning. We are, we're going to be in Matthew, continuing Matthew 6. Uh, it's in um, your Black Bibles, page 761. And so our, our roadmap this morning is with fasting. What is it? What is it not? A grid to kind of help us engage God in our fasting. And then some stories throughout scripture that will kind of uh, help us to see. And then just a short, um, maybe long, exhortation. So, Pages seven, page 761 in the Black Bible. So we'll read the text, and then we'll pray, and then get in. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees it, what is done in secret, will reward you. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Your mercies are new every single morning, and so God, I call upon your mercies. I need them to preach this morning. I need your help. I need the Holy Spirit to bring forth what you've placed in my heart to bring forth and and to help us to hear your word. What is the Spirit saying to the church? And so, Father, bring that about this morning. Amen. So there's this kind of, there's these, uh, the three, um, this is the third of the three that Jesus in chapter six begins where um, we started with needy. Jared um, has preached with, um, yeah, Jared preached with the giving to the needy and then the Lord's prayer, and now we're in fasting. And so with that, we, um, <clears throat> we see with needy, with giving to the needy is kind of this uh, horizontal relationship about our relationship with others. And then with, with the prayer part, when he, when he says, when you pray, it's kind of our vertical relationship with the Father. And then with, with fasting, it's interesting. And I know this sounds really funny in, in church, but it's actually a lot about us. Fasting is more about us than 
I could have ever imagined as I was getting into it. And so it's, there's these three things that he really hits on that I want you to kind of look into. And so we'll start with, he says, when you fast. We see Jesus' method in this of the negative positive commands. When you fast, do not, do not look like the, look somber like the hypocrites. They want to be seen while fasting. And then he says, do fast. And when you fast, clean yourself up and don't make it a show. So the Pharisees, their reward in this is that they're seen. They're seen as pious. They're seen as religious. They're seen as spiritual. And that's it. That's the reward. They receive the applause of men. That's it. Jesus does not say, don't fast. But when you fast, I'm persuaded that what it means to follow Jesus is not only to mentally consent to the teachings, but to do what he did. So the abundant life that Jesus speaks, the the abundant life that Jesus speaks of is one that actually resembles how he lived. When he says, follow me, it's not consenting. Okay, I will. It's, oh, he's stepping here. I'll step here. He steps there. I'll step there. So when we read this teaching, we should read it as fasting is something Jesus expected we could, we would, and I would, I'm going to say we should do something. We fast and we pray in secret so that he will reward us. We give to the needy, we pray to our Father, and we fast with a posture of humility. We are pursuing humility. So before even, like, this is still in the intro, guys, I'm sorry. I realize that I'm not even speaking about today the main principle in this passage. Because he's actually not really, like, he brings up fasting, but what he is is saying, when you fast, do it this way. But can we be honest? As a church, like as Western Christians, if I was to get up in and, and say like, when you fast, do so in humility, I think, I think it would not really hit. Partly because we don't fast. Like it, it's something that in discipleship is something that is seen, is gone from us. It's, it's a principle, uh, it's a excuse me, a practice, a discipline that um, I would, for one, I was never taught in my discipleship until um, I think the first message was Jared last, it was a year and almost six months ago when we were going through disciplines. That was like probably one of the first times I really heard it preached through the pulpit. And even then in our community groups and stuff, I, that's something we don't talk about. And maybe you have, this is just my experience. So with that, I'm actually going to talk more about fasting than I am going to be about humility today. And we will, like at the end, all I'm going to say is when you fast, be humble. Like, I mean, that's, I feel like that's like the, the thrusting point of Jesus within this. So when, when you hear fasting, when I hear fasting, I think some of the outside sources that can come to mind is um, it is in that spiritual discipline, kind of works-based kind of practice. And it can be that. It can totally be a workspace. It can be that pharisaical mindset of wanting to be seen and, and so on. But I think of I think of the Roman Catholic faith. I know that is a, 
it's a big spiritual practice for them. I know that Muslims, especially during Ramadan, which just happened not too long ago, they fast. Um, and then with Buddhism, they also do intermittent fasting. And then of course, bringing up intermittent fasting, that's a huge, it's, I think it's kind of, it's, kind of at a plateau now, but it, it, we saw such a rise with dieting and intermittent fasting. And so I think that's usually where our minds kind of got, go to. But I, I just want to bring it back and say, man, being a Christian, we can, we can fast. We can, we can use, not use, food, sometimes drink, to worship God. And so with that, I just want, I want to kind of persuade you that these good works, these disciplines of generosity, of prayer, evangelism, silence, solitude, fasting, etc., with faith, through grace, brings us, brings the man, brings the woman into maturity in Christ. It actually brings us into deeper communion with God. So let's start here, getting into the message now. The great commandment. <clears throat> Mark 12, 29 through 31. The most important one. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's, what's the one we, we really got to know? And Jesus responds. He says, the most important one is, hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. The Lord is the one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. So according to Jesus, we are to love the Lord our God with all that we are, everything that is who we are. If you look back since the Enlightenment during like the 17th, 18th centuries, we have this huge shift of, of this education coming about, about the mind, about reasoning, about thinking, about understanding. I mean, it, literally all about the mind. And so I, I think I see throughout the historical church that since that, as we know, oftentimes what's going out in the world does affect us, the church, big C church. And so we see that this actually affected much of the church, that reasoning, thinking, understanding came into the church and we make a huge emphasis on it to the point, I think it's actually idolatrous. So much emphasis in Christianity has been centered on the mind that actually separates us from the rest of who we are, separates us from the soul, the emotion, the heart, from the body, the physical being that we are. Have you guys seen, you guys seen the new movie, Soul, the Disney movie, Soul, that came out? There's this guy, just a really simple, there's just the guy, and this is kind of our thinking about how we, who, who we are, is that there's this guy, spoiler alert, that dies, and his soul, a blue blob, goes into this realm of being. And I think, honestly, like, that's how we've kind of been taught to picture our soul, that our soul is something that is somewhat separated from us, and that as we, like, and it just goes on, and it's something else. And I think we, we don't, we're not looking at the body, at who we are as a person, like Jesus created us, as he brings in to this of, of, worshiping the Lord with all who we are. And so we have this kind of the mind, the, the heart, the soul, and the body, our strength. And, and so we kind of separate these things. And what I'm trying to do is kind of force these back together in our minds about how we see 
who we are. Thomas Edison makes this big statement, and he says the chief function of the body is to carry around our minds. I think we elevate our thinking, our minds, our intellect to a place that we need to kind of lower it. All of who we are, heart, soul, mind, body, our strength is integrated and complex. As Paul tells the church at Corinth, do you not know that your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit? We're more than just our minds. We're more than just our bodies, our hearts, or something. Like all of these things are integrated and complex. They're wo- interwoven, integrated, and that all of that, all of who we are, is to worship God. So bringing bringing our body into worship. So we're just going to kind of focus on the body part today, and that's as you see, we're talking about fasting. That's where this gets into. So think about how we engage our body with worship. We often, uh, this morning it was beautiful, during our prayer gathering beforehand, all of us kneeled without anybody asking. It was beautiful. I, it was so awesome just to bring this point about, like we often kneel, we bring our physical being into a posture of humility. We, um, we raise our hands in worship. We bring our physical body into a place of submission, of praise, we clap our hands, not usually here, but we clap our hands to song and we can dance um, and so on. We exercise, we build up our physical being. We eat and we drink for the glory of God. Our bodies are made to worship. So did you know we can worship with our gut, with our stomach? Fasting is a way that we bring our strength, our body into worship, into submission to God. So fasting is bringing that body into our body into worship, and we set, afi- set aside food and pleasures for a period of time to worship the Creator over creation. We worship Jesus, the Creator of food. We worship God, the Creator of food and drink, and we become extremely thankful for, the, for those things during our fast, don't we? Now, I, I, I do have kind of this, what is it, what is it not? And before I like go any further, I want to acknowledge that food relationship, body image, all these things, they can come up. And I just want to like, I had this part of like, what is it not? And it's like, it's, it's not abstaining. It's not just fasting from Netflix. Fasting is only from food. Biblical fasting is only from all these things. And my, my fundamentalist, legalist self comes out. But I just like, I, I want to say, like, if you have a relationship with food that is unhealthy, like, I, I would love and encourage you, one, to talk about it and to get, like, seek help with that. But also, I want to say there's no shame. Like, if you, if, if that relationship is hard for you with, and, and fasting is one of those things and your past is something that's really hard, I just want to say, like, abstaining instead of fasting from food, abstaining from something else, like, Please have that in your mind's eye, in that in your mind today. I just want to give some room for that today. Fasting is is uh, is considered one of the spiritual disciplines. Kind of a history of it is it, um, the the Jews, the Israelites, were commanded on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament on Yom Kippur. It's still practiced today. It was a day meant for the Israelites to fast, to afflict themselves 
to pray, confess, repent, repent in preparation for the sacrifices that were about to be offered for their sin. Uh, it's in Leviticus 23, if you're interested in looking at it more. And this is the only place, the only place we see it as a command. Old Testament command. You must do this. It is not a command in the New Testament. <clears throat> Nowhere in the New Testament does it, does it say fasting is a command. It is always coupled with another discipline. It's always coupled with silence and solitude. We don't just starve ourselves for the sake of not eating, but it's always coupled with prayer or something else, etc. Biblical fasting is setting aside a time for the sake of not eating, sometimes not even drinking as well, to focus on a sacred, holy moment of communion with God. Scott McKnight, this man has blessed me a lot reading this book called Fasting. It's a, it's a, it's a discipline, but he, he's given me so much history, and a lot of what is coming out is actually from him today, this, this framework that we'll be looking through. So fasting, he brings out, is a natural, inevitable, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred, holy moment in life. Fasting is a response to a sacred, holy moment. So we're going to be working through kind of a framework today of an ABC um, given by McKnight that has really helped me in seeing what fasting is and can be. <clears throat> so the A framework, we start at A, and it's a sacred, holy moment, which generates our response of B, which is the fasting and prayer, silence, solitude, whatever it's coupled with. Only when that sacred moment and then our response is given its full power, does it generate this reward that, that Jesus speaks of? And your reward at the end, as your Father sees it in heaven, you will be rewarded for this. I, I believe it's a promise. Now, with this reward piece, there's going to be this framework up on the, yeah, perfect, up on the board that is, is I want to, it's in little writing there, but it actually says involves communion with God and can, keyword, can manifest as such. So you look at that straight across. We see death, our response, ugh, a lament, grief. We fast because we want to feel our grief. We want to feel our lament. And sometimes the reward of that is life. I, Guys, I've been hearing more stories about overseas, about people being raised from the dead. And I'm like, what? And oftentimes fasting and prayer is involved with I'm, I'm, I'm like astounded by this. And then with sin, our response can be fasting and prayer. And oftentimes our reward can be forgive. Do you see how this is working? But I want to point out, can is the main word. Sometimes these things can happen that God, we receive this reward. But the main point is communion with God. The main point is us in relationship with God. I have, I have kind of a personal story. When I, uh, the first church that I really became a part of was a charismatic Pentecostal church. And so I'm like, when we talk about clapping and dancing and stuff, I'm used to that. I'm okay with that because of my, <laughs> because of that initial introduction to Christianity. But my, my first personal story with fasting was in this church and it was taught and mainly as a way to manipulate God, that when I fasted, God could hear me better. When I fasted, God would do these things for me because 
I was fasting. And so often, I think we can see fasting as kind of a tool of manipulation. And I don't want us to see that today at all. I think that is wrong and wicked. That when you, when you fast, it's not that God's ears uh, or your, your voice gets louder in prayer or any such thing. I want to actually see that it's your posture. And, uh, and I'm going to bring this in, but um, it's your posture and it's actually where you're at. It's that you actually can hear God better. It's actually that you can see clearer. It's that your heart understands clearer. And so um, we were gifted the sign that says, always be where the Lord can find you. And I think the, the emphasis on this, when we first got it, I was like, oh, that's, I'm not sure if that's theologically correct. Because, I mean, it, clearly emphasis is on the Lord. And I like seriously wrestled through like, do we want to hang this up or not? And and so part of this today is it's a beautiful picture of of saying always be where the Lord can find you. The Lord can always find us, guys. Like that that is clear. But I think the emphasis that I want to point out is today is where you're at. Where you're at. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden as he's walking through the garden, saying, Adam, where are you? I think that's what I when I look at this now in our house, that's what I think to is it's more the emphasis in the thrust is where are you it's not that the lord can't find you but it's are you are, are you in a position to be found i've had to work through that and i'm still working through that so if we want to talk about that that can be a question that comes up but hey we'll work through that together <clears throat> so there are a couple of examples in scripture that I want to look through today that bring fasting into this kind of ABC framework that I think is really, really helpful. There are these sacred, holy moments that speak to our specific situations today. So I I want to kind of speak to you like in, as individuals and then also as a church. As a church, I want you to kind of just be asking, like, what is, what is the Spirit saying? As us together as a family. And then I also ask as an individual, like what's going on in your life? Is the Lord, is the Spirit kind of prompting you towards fasting and prayer because of a situation? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to have some water and then we're going to continue on. Father, as we get into these examples in your word, I do ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us towards your truth. And it is, it is just a, a question of, of, God, where am I? Where am I with you? And Father, I want to know your goodness. What are you calling me to? So Spirit, would you speak? I'm asking you, I'm believing in you, that you would speak to us, our hearts, this morning. Amen. Jesus and his temptation. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. The Spirit, now again I'll say, the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit is the one that leads Jesus out to be tempted. He fasts for 40 days and nights, supernatural fast, and Satan comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What he's asking is, he's saying, Take your God card up. Take, set aside the humanity. Make these stones bread because you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You can eat. Just do it. Be God. 
Jesus responds with, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he continues this conversation with Satan, the tempter. <clears throat> but I, I just want to stay here. So in the past, I've actually seen this as Jesus is being tempted 40 days and 40 nights. My humanity goes to this place of going super weak. Jesus is in a super weak place. There's no way in my mind that I would be able to come. And of course, comparison with Jesus is hilarious, but I do it. You do it too. And, and so I see this as Jesus comes up against Satan. I'm like, how 40 days and 40 nights. He's hangry. He's got to be. What I've heard taught and what I'm relaying to you is that Jesus was at a, great, a point of great, great strength in this temptation. Jesus was literally living on every word that came from his father in this moment. And I argue every moment after as well. He's in this perfect communion with the father. He trusts his father. He's sustained supernaturally through the spirit. He literally quotes himself in some ways, Deuteronomy 8.3, Old Testament. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus comes up against his accuser, his tempter, the evil one, the liar, and has the power to say no. No. And he quotes God's word in his temptation. And I think that is powerful. Remember this is the example of a holy, sacred moment. A tempter comes and is tempting Christ. So he's led out to be tempted. It's a holy, sacred moment. He responds with this moment in fasting. And in that, he has the power through the Spirit, through God, to say no to his tempter. And then the tempter, it, he does flee. He flees this moment. Jesus continues in his perfect communion with the Father, worshiping and glorifying him. So us, I want you to see as fasting is a way to fight temptation. Fasting and prayer coupled with prayer as a practice actually helps us to say no to sin, to temptation. As we fast, as we pray, we're in a constant state of denying ourselves, denying ourselves from fruit, denying ourselves from pleasures, denying ourselves of entertainment, what, what have you. And just think, denying ourselves, does that not send a hyperlink to another of Jesus' teachings? Deny yourself, take up your cross. So as we fast, we learn to say no. We learn to deny ourselves. We learn to deny ourselves of when we potentially are up late at night on the computer, when we want to open up that tab and go to some place that we know we shouldn't. When we feel that conviction, we say no when that drink is in front of us, that extra drink that we, we may want to have, we want to continue in, we get to say no. We have the power in that to say no. We say no to our gossip and slander as it starts to bubble up. Somebody slandered you, so you're going to slander them. That temptation is there, and fasting helps us say no to lying, to cheating, so on. 
Fasting is a practice that actually, it, it helps us to say no to our temptations. Learn, we need to learn to say no to the tempter. And as Jesus says, as James says, he will flee from us. If you resist him, he will flee from you. Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, we see this again. Paul and Barnabas are being set apart for the work of God. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they were sent off. ABC framework again. We see this holy, sacred moment in which the Spirit speaks to this group of people worshiping and fasting. They respond with more fasting and prayer. And then Paul and Barnabas are sent out for the work of an evangelist, which we see the, reward, the, the result and the reward is their first ministry, uh, missionary trip. They came back, they're commended for their work, and Paul and Barnabas declare the grace that is shown to the Gentiles. As they're away on this missionary trip, they're bringing the Gentiles into the fold of God. And so we, we, see, we see the response to the sacred, holy moment with prayer and fasting. When we come to a place of decisions, it could be big, it could be small, I'm gonna let you decide, but when we come to a place of decisions that come up in life, it's not involving just the ministry decisions, everyday decisions, where should we live? What should we, I don't wanna actually keep going, but you have in your mind decisions. Could you, would you, should you respond to these in fasting and prayer? Most, what I want to take away from this is positioning yourself as we see with Saul and Barnabas, these other men, other women in this place. Could you position yourself in a place that you hear the Spirit speaking? When we worship, when we fast, when we pray, we position ourselves with ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that can understand. That's, that's kind of the motive behind We don't practice fasting and prayer for God to speak more loudly, but it's more about the deafness of our ears that we would be able to hear more clearly, the blindness of our own eyes that we would be able to see more clearly, and the dullness of our hearts that we would be awakened to what the Spirit is saying. We want to be where the Lord can find us. So fasting helps us, fasting and prayer helps us Quiet our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies to be able to hear his voice and respond accordingly. Story of David. It's the next example that we see. David, David sins against God in this Old Testament story. He he brings in Bathsheba, a neighboring beautiful lady that he wants, he desires. She, he sleeps with her. She conceives of a child. Now this woman is married. She is married to, Uri- 
to Uriah, and um, David makes sure, make sure that Uriah dies while on the battlefield. Nathan, the prophet in this day, comes to David, confronts him in the power of God with a parable, and it reveals David's sin in the matter as David's hiding and covering. David responds to Nathan's parable with hate, with judgment on the man in the parable, and then Nathan reveals, you are the man. You are the one I'm talking about. And this is how the story continues. 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 17. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David. He became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with him. Seven days of fasting, weeping, and lamenting we see in this story. And the child does end up dying, just as the Lord said. David learns of this, and he got up from the ground, washed, put on lotion, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Goodness. Psalm 51 is um, an insight to David. Um, The title usually says it does correlate with this sin with Bathsheba. But I just want you to see in David's heart who David is. He responds in such a way that I think we can learn from. He has this holy, sacred moment that comes about because of his sin. He goes into this fasting, he's grieving, he's lamenting, he's crying out to God, and he says things like this in Psalm 51, just kind of a paraphrase. Have mercy on me, O God. Wash away all of my iniquity, for I know my sin, it's right before me. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. God, oh God, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. David just goes into this place of lament and he's seeking out God in his sin and he goes into the temple and worships when I look when I look at this grievous the sacred holy moment of David's life and his sin with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah I I work through how I currently and in the past have seen my own sin how I've responded to the sins of my youth how I have responded to the sins of last week, how I have responded to current sins that I am working through. And I do have this question that I'm still working through. So if if you have a, if it's on the Q&R, I'm going to struggle with this one today because this is something I'm still working through. Am I, are we to grieve sin like this? I mean, that's Old Testament. That's how David responded in the Old Testament. So this is New Testament. We see Paul to the, second, to, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinth talking, wow, in 2 Corinthians talking to the church at Corinth 
um, he, he, he has this line, he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief produces repentance. And he continues and says, worldly grief produces death. I can usually, usually work out my sin theologically up here with the gospel. And I think as I rightly should, as we rightly should, I use my mind to work with what I know to be true in Christ. I typically try and work through my emotions pretty quickly, trying to actually, honestly, just to separate myself from the sin. Assuring myself, encouraging myself, trying not to go to this place of harmful self-talk, not this shameful self-talk that the accuser gets in on. I rarely, if ever, until recently, bring my physical being into my response of sin and how I confess and repent. I see David's example here that there is a time, I want to emphasize that, a time to position ourselves, our whole self, our heart, our mind, our body, into a posture of repentance and lament. I think fasting has a place there. We go to this place of grief because it was, it is, our sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. We go to this place because it is, it was our sin that placed Jesus on the cross. It was, is our sin that separates initially before salvation, it separates us from the love of God. Our sin before Christ, before we met him, before we called upon him, separates us from the love of Christ, from the love of God. And now, thanks be to God, he, 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 as a father, he disciplines us. He disciplines us in our sin. And we know, like, we know it grieves the Father. It grieves the Father that we continue in sin. So we humble ourselves because we've hurt a friend, because we've hurt our Abba. We've sinned against the Father, and we feel, we feel in every part of our being. We feel it in the mind that should not be separated from our emotions. We feel it in our heart, our soul, the spirit. And then we also can, we can feel it in our bodies. Do you know, like when you're sick, like you feel it emotionally too. You feel it as spirit, that integrated complex self. It is crazy to me when we think about some of these things. Like we were just at a funeral yesterday and like hearing the people, like there is, you can physically see somebody who's grieving. They're not upright, not usually. It, I mean, it, their posture is usually different. And it, I just, I just, I saw that yesterday. And it was so, it was so profound to bring this in. Like we respond, our integrated complex self without us even knowing it. Should we position ourselves in a place of humility? Yes, yes, absolutely. And fasting and prayer can be brought into that for us to respond in ways that can actually bring about forgiveness and grace and communion with a restored relationship and communion with Jesus. 
It's a church in our exhortation, in, in our response. I just want to bring this to a close. I, I do have some questions. Like, as a church, have we come to a holy, sacred moment? I mean, as a church, together. I know individually, I can, we, can, we can go through these things. But I think as a church, are we in this ABC kind of framework? Can we think about things as moments, as holy and sacred? I know I I can be a hearer in this room. I can hear about adultery and lust. I can hear about anger. I can hear about fits of anger, fits of rage. I can hear about greed, about praying, about lying, all these things. And I can walk out of this room thinking about lunch, thinking about what's going on for the rest of the day. And I know, like, if we're honest, honest talk here, but I think all of us can. All of us hear something and we walk away forgetting it. And that's not to say like 40 minutes, 40 minutes this morning is going to change your life. That'd be awesome. But I, I understand that like community throughout the week, things that happen at work, personal time and prayer and work, all these things can culminate into something. And so this is just a piece of the pie this morning. we can be a people that look in a mirror and walk away forgetting what we just saw. And so we've gone, we've gone through these hard things of divorce, of adultery, lust, and some of these things I just said. And like, I am asking, I'm just asking, like, are we continuing? Have we, cont- have we not dealt with that? And what I mean by that is that have we not let Jesus So, with learning to say no to temptation, and as we see, like, as Jesus comes up against demonic, satanic oppression, warfare, spiritual warfare, I think a right response would be to fast and pray. Is it a decision that's just digging at you in your life? could you respond with fasting and praying? And bringing community into that, bringing others into that. Is it deep-rooted sin? Do you, do you relate to the story with David? Should you be grieved over sin? Should you be in a place of lament? I get like, I, I'm, this, is, this is what I'm working through, is like, we go to this place, and yeah, work through the gospel, you guys. Work through the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's a place for grief over our sin. We don't need to be like Adam and Eve, hiding in the garden as God walks through and says, where are you? This is is the good news of the gospel in this. We don't have to be afraid how God will react we've already seen it. We already know how he responds. Fear not. He who has ears, she who has ears, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, what the Spirit is saying to us as a a family. Believe that Jesus Christ was sent to live a perfect life. That he died on the cross bearing all sin, resurrected into glory, and is our advocate 
is our brother, is our friend. And right now, I really believe this is what's going on in my own heart. And maybe it's selfish to believe that he's also doing it with you, but he's knocking. He's knocking at the door. And honestly, my whole hopes this morning was just to encourage you to open it and respond. And that could be with prayer and fasting. That's the main point that I wanted to bring this morning. But what is the Lord telling you how you should respond to this very holy, sacred moments that you are in? There's a, there's, a, there's a fourth piece that I really wanted to bring in. I'm only going to share. It's not notes or anything like that. But I, I also see there's this other point that um, McKnight brings up, and it is about lament, lament and grief over, over things of catastrophe, over things that are going on in our world. And I would highly encourage you that as we respond to things that are coming from the outside in, that fasting and prayer can be a good response. As we experience funerals, deaths, loved ones receiving doctor's notes, things that are just horrible, like, it's okay to lament. Like, I I just, yesterday, it was so powerful. It's so powerful when you can give somebody permission to cry. Like, when somebody's just holding it in, and you come up and you say, like, how are you doing? And and they, you can tell, but they say, "I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I experienced that yesterday, and it was just like a touch and a hug, and somebody just breaks and just starts weeping. And sometimes we need that. And I think it would be so powerful as communities. If you're not in a community, please get more. That's that's me and my wife too. But if you if you're not in community, can I encourage you to be? It is so powerful when you have friends, family in the church that can help respond to holy, sacred moments in the life. I'm going to pray, and we're going to go through a question and response. Mind you, it is a response. I don't have answers necessarily this morning. I may have I don't knows, but I will help as much as I can with the questions. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for you brought this this passage. I pray, Spirit, that you would work this out in our life. Father, where there needs to be healing this morning, Spirit, would you heal? Would you, would you bless? Spirit, where there is conviction, bring hope. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died for that sin. If there's shame this morning, I, I be gone. You have no place in this, in, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our minds. But Spirit, fill that and take that, take a hold of that. Jesus be made great. Amen. Do we do we have any questions? Yes. Awesome. What if fasting itself produced a trauma response in the body? Any suggestions to work through this and access deep level community with God in other ways? This is a great, great question. And this is part of part of what I was talking about. If in any way that we have that fasting brings up trauma in the past of eating habits of body image and things like that one honestly i'm a huge fan of counseling like we we have to get counseling usually to work some of these things out and so i would i would highly highly encourage you to seek out counseling with that 
I would also ask oftentimes those, those traumatic responses means there's a really deep rooted something else that needs to be brought up and that's what counseling can help, help with. Suggestions to access deep level communion with God in other ways. I think fasting can also be, when we look at this, it, it, um, to abstain from certain things and to set aside certain things for periods of time because fasting is meant to be coupled with prayer, silence, and solitude in these things. And so if you're continuing to eat, like, please don't feel that that's any less than somebody that gets too fast because they don't have a traumatic response or anything like that. But abstaining from, honestly, entertainment, Netflix, all these other things for a period of time and getting yourself into a place of prayer, of silence and solitude, I think that is a great opportunity. And, but, I mean, also with that, think of silence and solitude. Like, we have this beautiful creation around us of getting outside, enjoying um, enjoying the, the creator with creation. Um, that's my response right now. Any other, anything else? What if I'm fasting and nothing comes out of it? I um, I have come home and said to Bonnie, today was pointless when I fasted before. I felt I felt like it was literally just a day that I just went without food, and it happens. It will happen. And I think with all the practices, when you know you have times of prayer that is amazing, and times of prayer that just you have times of reading the word and you just feel like God is talking to you and then you feel like, God, where are you? I'm reading your, like all these things. And so my response to that is keep doing it. Keep trying, keep practicing and, and keep seeking that communion with God over the result of the reward of life, of forgiveness, all these other things that are, you may be seeking. But I would say keep doing it. Keep trying. Anything else? Good? Okay.